Welcome back, folks. This is Annette of AnnetteLeonard.com, back with Chronic Wellness, and thanks for joining me for part two of my interview with author and teacher Arlene Falk, where we are talking about her memoir, Walking on Pins and Needles. And stay tuned at the end of this podcast. I'll be talking to you about how you can win a copy of her book. Thanks so much. Rejoining part two of our interview here now. Uh, so your, your, your life continued on and a, a high power life it was. I mean, you, you were relentless in your intellectual pursuits and in your uh, pursuits at work. And you were breaking glass ceilings and, and breaking down um, sort of what titles women had held at different companies prior to your work there. And uh, you said, I struggled to allow myself to take breaks, to let loose and have fun. Yet I know it was too much stress. I know it was too much work. This is 1978 as you're writing that. Right. And uh, then you write at, at, at a time in New York, you say, um, in my Midwest upbringing, I was taught to keep my feelings pretty much to myself, tough it out. Other people have worse problems. Dad didn't ever like the word therapist or psychiatrist. He thought it was a sign of weakness to see someone just for the purpose of talking. I rarely talk about my personal sadness, disappointment, or anger. And I wonder, looking back now, what you make of that or what connections you see between that and your illness or that and your wellness or, or not. Yes, that's a very good insight because I, looking back, I think that key emotions, the stress, insight, it does can and does take a toll on our body. And it might not show up for years. It might or it might not. When I was in New York City and I was, as you mentioned, um, getting promotions, moving up the ladder and working in a major airline, which is a very stressful um, job that, that I had. But I, I was very motivated and there was a lot of uh, reward in the in the work that was being uh, the work that was being done. I joined a health club, and I was in the locker room one day, and there were these women. And so I was in my late twenties, and there were women in there, uh, nude with their towels, and they were just talking. Their hands were, were were flying and saying, "You know, I remember one conversation. You know, I was talking about a therapist. I've been going for fifteen years. You'd think I'd know this better by now." And talking to our friend who said, you know, I know that too. They're both talking about their therapist and they had their emotions and everything right out in, in the open. And I tuned in and I mentioned this because it was so opposite of the way I was raised. And as, as you mentioned what you read there that I kept my feelings inside and, and here these people were uh, you know, freely talking about them in a gym locker room. So that was actually uh, good in terms of New York not just that one incident, but in terms of experiences there, in terms of opening me up some more, it was the first place I really um, asked for some help um, when I had some physical uh, physical issues that were um, causing me to consider if I could even get up the steps or walk out the door or walk home. And I think that not at the time did I realize how much the keeping everything inside might have been, it's not necessarily cause, but 
affecting negatively the degree of stress in my body, not just my mental and emotional stress, but the stress in the body in terms of letting go, in terms of accepting more what's happening. And then I found later need to be in a more relaxed state to make good choices about, about my body because um, like our mind, our body in a stressful situation wants to either pull in and tighten or flee. That time in New York seems to have been a real time of, of growth, both personally and uh, professionally, and then also of, of learning about yourself. Yes. Looking back now, how, how would you speak to that or how would you kind of typify that to someone? I think that it was everything that, that you, you just mentioned in terms of I like the energy, it was a fast energy and it, that suited me well. In terms of the people that I met, um, the different kinds of people, but what I remember is uh, that there were some that I met, they thought they were very cosmopolitan and just you know really with it in a number of ways from business, you know, it's a seat of uh, financial, uh, Wall Street, et cetera. A lot going on there and there is a lot of sophistication but then I would realize that some of the people who thought they were very sophisticated they really only knew about New York and LA and there was nothing in between when I mentioned that I went to uh, undergraduate school at the University of Iowa they confused it with Ohio so so that was a good you know we're all human we're all we all have our, our things and so I wanted to look what was the best in in New Yorkers um, and I found in New York, because I had a lot of physical challenges when I was there. I used a, a cane when I was out and had trouble getting on the bus, had some trouble sometimes getting across the street. And I found New Yorkers being very, very helpful, very, very kind and very, uh, very helpful um, seeing my situation. So I have I really a fondness for uh, New York where people will say, well, do you like Chicago better? I'm in Chicago now than I was previously to going to New York and I can't compare them. They're a different kind of energy and I had different uh, different experiences, but it did really open me up to new possibilities. And um, I, I did some dating. I um, had a friend I talked about a lot uh, who's an exercise instructor, Melody, and became a very good close friend. I really think that my relationships in terms of like intimacy were affected by my skin feeling like pins and needles and being excruciating at times. And so being touched was awful. Yeah. And people didn't understand that. Yeah, men and women didn't understand. I didn't always want to be hugged. And so I try to explain, but you know, it, there's, there's a time and, and you know, and I'm sure a number of your audience members know that um, you, it doesn't always serve you well to explain others don't understand it's sort of a push off and it's so it's a fine line of how, how do you deal with creating some closeness in relationships and yet having people understand that there's I don't know if limitations the right words but there are some realities that I'm living with that are invisible that are very real and um it's 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 hard. I found it was hard for to uh to understand some of the some of the people so that that wouldn't be casual relationships or but it would be more 
uh, say, say dating at, at that time, that's the word we would have used, um, and closeness. Yeah. Um, so I that, that comes to mind because that, that really was an issue that when I was there. Thank you, sorry to interrupt. The, I thought you did an admirable job exploring that. And I think that it's something that uh, becomes invisible about those of us living with, with pain conditions, uh, that, that the ways in which pain impacts our intimacy. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and you did a really beautiful job exploring well, thank you. and explaining that. And I have found it's difficult to talk about. I did uh, there. It, it's um, people don't always talk about a lot. If one person opens up, or I'm talking with somebody else with MS or fibromyalgia, um, the other conditions that where there's chronic pain, then there's there can be a crack. And oh yes, but even those of us who have experienced that are sometimes reluctant to admit admit that. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And, and I think that uh, as someone who has lived with chronic pain in varying degrees over many years, and I, I have a wife who I've been with for 25 years, so that relationship predates my pain, acknowledging the ways in which opening myself to pleasure is also opening myself to pain. And, yeah. and those run on the same track. And so yes. uh, at times having closed myself off and, and finding ways to open again and, and acknowledging that, that both things will be true and yes. figuring out how to, how to live with that and, and make peace. I like that acknowledging that both things are true uh, and that they can coincide in a uh, and not always be on the same level, but uh, both both can be true. Yeah. One of the details that you include during that time that I that I didn't make a note of a quote, but that I was struck by, was how you adopted the cane into your life. And I will just say that that you um, were careful in your selection of a cane, and I think that that's important for anyone who has enough privilege to, to take great care right. in picking something that matters to them. But I wonder internally what it was like to accept the need for that or to acknowledge it is now time for me to take on an aid like that. Because I think for many of us, the barrier of accepting a device, a walker, a cane, a chair, yeah. it's a hurdle. How was that for you? It is a hurdle. Uh, I tried as best as, as I could for as long as I could to manage on my own, to walk across the street, to take it slowly, to be really mindful when I was walking about that I was walking. I'll take a step and really get grounded. And, and then it, fatigue or it might have been pain uh, or just Numbness. muscle weakness. Yeah scared me a little bit. I mean, I'm in New York City and things are fast and it's, I, I, I know the times I have it in my book. I have X number of seconds to get across the street. Can I get there? Well, it's not only, it's okay to toughen up and say, I can do it, but reality needs to set in. And I thought, okay, I want to think about this. I think I need some help. What do I do? What is the best course of action for me? So, I thought about it like, as I talk about it, like a prop in a play and that it's okay to have uh, a, a device uh, that will be helpful 
in carrying out the action that needs to happen. I, that's the way that I did it. And as I say in the book, when I shop for it, I did have the privilege of being able to do that. And, and I didn't know anything about canes and um, it wasn't, oh, well, give me something or go to the, uh, the, the store that has wheelchairs and canes and all kinds of uh, helpful devices. Um, and that's fine. I, I'm not making a comment on that. But for me, um, I went to look and I think I wasn't sure I was really going to do it. You know, when you say you get, I tiptoed knowing I needed to do something, yeah. but I still was tiptoeing. I was, and I was by myself, of course. And so I wanted to find something that I thought had some beauty in it or some some style. I looked at pictures uh, I, on canes and I, I had ideas of people, you know, when they do walking, walking sticks. Yeah. And there's some really pretty cool and, and ones that are not just manufactured, but maybe styled from a, a piece of wood, uh, you know, that they've taken time. And um, so, that for me was, it was a process and it was almost like, an, I'm gonna say an act and apply that I, I wanted to say, let's have it be a prop, let's have it fit in. Uh, I, I didn't care that much actually what it looked like, but it was the idea that it was going to fit into my persona uh, and look like it fit there. Yeah. And so I did that. And then of course it took me a while to, to work with it and, and actually use it. Uh, but I was very happy that I, I did that. Do you remember feeling self-conscious with it? Do you remember anyone else's reaction to it? I did some practice. I did some practice with my friends so that I could be, so it would be an aid rather than a hazard because it does take some, some, uh, some practice. Yeah. And I think very early on in New York, what happened is what I mentioned just briefly earlier, People were so helpful, you know, can I help you? Or I remember getting help getting up the steps on buses. But when you have a cane or device of some kind, um, even in a, a wheelchair or motor, motorized vehicle of some kind, I found that people were, uh, they'd either move out of the way uh, so that there was room for you. And particularly on corners, because people tend to crowd right into, even in the wheelchair accessible part of a corner, people still stand there. and that didn't happen. I, I was really surprised. Uh, it really opened me up to having people saying yes to helping me. I would take an arm of strangers and I did it. Yeah. So it, it was a process, but once I got on the streets, it, it's interesting how New York really sort of set me free from that. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, um, was it any different for you with strangers versus with coworkers or others that you knew better? Well, interesting you mentioned coworkers because I'm gonna say strangers, it was easier. I didn't use my cane at work. I might in the door, going in the door, but I didn't, I struggled. And I used the walls or I'd walk really slowly. I was arid, have what I do is say, let's meet in my office rather than going down to somebody else's office. I, I did it so that um, I wouldn't have to walk too much. I didn't say much at work at all. Certainly not what I was going through in terms of, of pain or 
um, the struggles I had inside because I was concerned it would affect my career. Yeah. Look, looking back all these years, I think it would be because I was uh, increasingly taking on more area, uh, positions of responsibility yeah. and going up in management might be seen as weakness. So that was a struggle and I did not work through that struggle until uh, for some years. And when I said something, what I said was, I remember it was the senior vice president of marketing. I remember him very clearly asked me, was something wrong? And I said, well, I've got a neurological issue, uh, but it's being taken care of and this cane really helps me be steady. And that was it and nothing more was said. All right, wasn't that good? Yeah, so continue on with us tomorrow for part three of this interview where we'll talk about what it was like to keep her diagnosis at work a secret because there wasn't an ADA yet and insurance portability wasn't a thing. And because there was no Affordable Care Act, there was no insurance for folks with pre-existing conditions. So it was a time of fearfulness for folks with medical diagnoses that they didn't feel like they could disclose. Additionally, we'll talk about how it was to keep her diagnosis a secret from her parents, her thoughts on accepting her chronic illness, and what it was like for her to apply for Social Security Disability. You won't want to miss it, I promise. Also, if you do not yet have a copy of Arlene's book, Walking and Pins and Needles, I think you'll want to have one. <laughs> and so it, you can enter to win a copy from me and instructions are detailed at the bottom of show notes, or you can surf over to my Instagram at the Annette Leonard and I detail instructions there. I have pushed the contest deadlines till the end of June because I was tardy getting this edited and posted. Uh, if you're watching it on video, you'll notice that you are only seeing Arlene's beautiful face, which is wonderful. And uh, I thought we'd both be in the video, but it wasn't meant to be technical difficulties and whatnot. Uh, so do enter for a chance to win and spread the information to anyone you think might be interested. I'm always really delighted when I see uh, that episodes have been shared. So tune in tomorrow uh, for part three. Thanks so much for joining me here and until we're together again, be well.